Hey, welcome to our Public Church podcast. We hope this message blesses you today. For more information on Public Church, please see us on www.public.church. So just thinking, gosh, this time next week on the 16th on Mother's Day, 16 years ago, Liam was born. It's going to be his 16th birthday. I know. And I remember before he was born, I preached on Mother's Day in our church in Adelaide on the Sunday morning and gave birth to him on the Monday. That's like, right? That's work ethic right there, people. Just keep on keeping on. Mum and Dad remember that. Remember that? Massive belly and I dropped Georgia off. Mum and Dad took her home from church and then went to the hospital the next morning and had Liam. There you go. You don't want to hear the story with Ashton. I went into labour with him on our youth camp like on the youth camp, but didn't know I was in labour. Whole other story. I'll tell you guys one day. Hey, um, I heard that last week was was amazing. Uh, Izzy preached last week. I think that's, I heard he did a phenomenal job. Cameron and I were repping the public family in Adelaide. So we, um, we helped to run Youth Alive Conference over in Adelaide. And of course, you guys know Sam and Hannah Long, who have been a part of our family, our church family here. They've come and spoken here before. But they run Youth Alive in South Australia. But they launched their church, Nova Church. And so Cameron and I got the privilege of being able to pray for them. And Cameron spoke. And so this is their first real deal big week being a big church and we remember what that's like a couple of years ago so um and Cameron still isn't here he actually flew out last night to the UK so um he says hello he's actually going to a Craig Rochelle um say concert conference in the UK with uh Matt Hines who you guys also know who are our close friends so there you go so it's me and you guys today is that all right Excellent. We're going to have fun. There is no elbowing the person next to you today and making digs about work ethic of the person next to you, okay? Today is going to purely be about yourself, okay? And you're going to focus and you're not going to pick out the little spark in the person next to you's eye when there is a log in your own, okay? Says me who has to try and not make any digs about any of the children in my family. So if you live in my family, you will know that um, the number one value, I reckon, well, maybe not number one, but close to in our family is work ethic. You cannot be a Bennett and not have a good work ethic. I think perhaps that came from my father and mother-in-law, particularly my father-in-law, who I think would maybe swipe someone with a belt if they didn't. He's laughing. He used to like, you know, pull the belt off and do this, the... You know when you, and it's like torches coming? Yeah. So you had to work hard in their household. And same, I was brought up the same. And so we're going to look at work ethic today. Um, I really, just hold up your journal if you've got your journal again for me. Okay, I've got a goal that in the next two, three, four weeks, every single person in this place is going to be holding up a journal. Okay, can you do that with me? Can you all make sure you get a journal? Um, I would love for us to get a massive photo right by the last week with every single person, 100% participation, but there's a reason for it. And that is, this is such a great opportunity for you guys to teach the Word of God 
in your families, uh, you know, together with your partners, but also with your children. We've bought all of our kids a journal. I went and got my boys the Message Bible yesterday, and so they're going through the Message version of Proverbs. We're doing it together because let me tell you, it is our responsibility, parents, to be teaching and instructing our children and our teenagers in the Word of God. Are you with me? And we should be doing it and leading by example. So we want public church to be a church that really gets into the Word of God, that journals the Word of God. There is no better way to hear from God than when you write it down. I've got my journals from years and years ago. It's so good to look back at what it is that God is speaking to you about. So I'm just going to introduce the whole topic. And then what we've decided to do is each week we're going to give somebody else one of our public family, an opportunity to come up and do a bit of a two-minute Proverbs preach. So you better do it because if I text you and pick you, it'd be awfully embarrassing if you had to say, oh, I haven't been reading the Proverbs, Renee. And you can't pull the whole I've got, you know, public speaking phobia because I'm like, well, this would be the best opportunity for you to help get over it, right? (laughs) So uh, in a moment, I'm going to invite our very own Josh McGonigal up to the stage in just a second. He's a Youth Alive Academy student. So if he's good, uh, credit me. And if he's really bad, blame Cameron. (laughs) Just kidding. He'll be amazing. He'll be amazing. So Proverbs is a book about wisdom and therefore a book about life. And this is why we picked Proverbs as our very first uh, book to go through. It's about a life lived for God in the light of divine truth. And I'm going to make sure that I have lots of notes up on the stage, on the stage, on the screen for you today so that you can take notes as we go, okay? So wisdom is more than knowledge. So knowledge, for example, is how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it. However, I hope no one in here will ever use one, but good example. Wisdom is using knowledge well. You know, in this day and age, we have vast storehouses of information and knowledge, but I don't think I've ever seen a generation with so little wisdom. Just uh, go to the shopping centre for one moment and just stand there and have a look at some of the parenting going on. I've had a few examples even today. This father ripped his kid off of the little, you know, one of those little merry-go-round things and he, he's like, get over here, get over here, get over here. Why won't you ever listen to me? I'm like, yeah, no wonder the poor kid doesn't listen. Like, you know, constantly I think we've got all this information But what about wisdom? Just because we have knowledge doesn't mean that we actually have wisdom. Information is on the up, but wisdom is on the decline. Often we don't know what to do in some of the most important areas of life, like raising children, having a healthy, thriving marriage, maintaining relationships and handling our finances. So Solomon, the son of David, is the author of Proverbs, and it's said that he was credited with writing about 3,000 Proverbs all up, but the Bible only contains 90 of them. So there's plenty of other Proverbs out there written by Solomon. And the thing I think that I've loved, this is my journal, and I, um, I was at National ACC Conference this week, so I had a bit of catching up to do, but I have caught up. And you know, the one thing that I think I've been noting down the most is how many promises come, how many amazing things will happen in our life when we heed to wisdom, when we seek wisdom, when we seek understanding, when we try, when we pray and we say, God, help, help me just... Um, you know, just like Solomon did, he could have had anything, but he asked for wisdom. And there are so many promises attached and I keep writing them down and I think that maybe at the end we'll have a look at those, a long list of promises. All right, work ethic, hustle and flow. Hustle and flow, good name, right? 
how work ethic will change your life. I actually believe with all my heart that good work ethic will lead you to fulfill the call of God upon your life. I really do believe that. I believe that if you've got a call of God and you all do, that without work ethic that we won't get there. And that's why I'm so, you know, big on work ethic in the academy or with my kids because I want us together to all be able to fulfill the purposes of God. So a Proverbs-driven life practices a faithful work ethic. Here are um, some of the scriptures on work ethic. I'm, just, I'm not going to read them out, but you can quickly, if you can keep up with me, jot them down. You will find work ethic throughout Proverbs in chapter 6, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 24, 26, 27. I think God has something to say about our work ethic, right? So... Work does not just refer to our paid employment, okay? I want to get that straight right from the get-go. When we're talking about work, we're not just talking about your paid employment. It is anything that you put your hand to. It could be your hobby. It could be being, you know, a mother, a father, the work you put into your marriage, being a stay-at-home mum. Let me tell you, that's more than one job. I think that's about two or three jobs into one, rolled into one. Uh, you know, it could be a hobby that, that you do. It could be a business that you own. It could be your study, the work ethic that you have, and I'm not looking at all the Youth Alive students right now, the, the study and work ethic you have around your study. So when you think we think of work ethic today, we're thinking of everything in life, okay? Where does work ethic originate? Well, hard work and honest work has been a pillar of the Australian nation since day dot, right? We are hard workers. I think Australians have an incredible work ethic. But work ethic actually goes all the way back to Genesis. So we're going to park at Genesis for a moment, and then we're going to come back to Proverbs. So if we have a look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to 28, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, what did God, what was the first thing that he did? He created the world. He worked because then it says that he rested on the seventh day. God is a God who works. He worked by creating the world. We are created in his likeness, therefore we are to engage in work. Now, some people think that work only began after sin, after Adam and Eve took of the, of the forbidden fruit, after sin entered the world. But work did not enter after. Work just got a bit harder afterwards. After um, sin came into the world, the Bible says in Genesis that there will now be thorns and thistles. And so therefore, the ground would be harder to toil. So our work will be harder. But the actual concept of work is a God-given call and blessing that's been given to us before the sin and the fall of man. So have a look at Genesis 2.15, even before um, they, sin came into the world. Let's have a look. The Lord, the Lord took the man put him in the Garden of Eden to, to what? To tend and guard and keep it. In other words, he had to work the garden, right? So we've been called to be people who work right from the very beginning. Work is not a curse. It's a blessing. It's a calling upon our life. So the ultimate purpose of work is actually not income, prestige, or even self-fulfillment. It's actually to bring glory to God and to be obedient to God. 
because he gave a command to Adam and Eve to look after the garden, and so they did. It actually is an opportunity for us when we work hard to reflect the nature and character of God. It's a calling and part of our God-given purpose. Does this kind of give you more reason to get up on a Monday morning when you don't really feel like getting up on a Monday morning? It's a core value and purpose to embody a biblical work ethic. And it's, if God created us, he saved us, but yet he kept us on this earth so we could display his glory as we each embrace our individual calling. And we do that well when we work hard. So let's have a quick look at work today. So we have, it's changing fast, but we have an eight-hour work day. So the whole concept, I think it's Labor Day on Monday, right? Yes, yeah, so there you go. So the whole concept was to have eight hours of labor, eight hours of recreation, and eight hours for rest. That's where the eight-hour workday came from. Now, I think we're going through another change in this generation coming through where they don't necessarily want to work eight hours from nine to, you know, five. They kind of want to sit on the beach with laptops and be working hard from the beach, right? Not, not so sure how that fits in with God's. I guess if there's good productivity, maybe that can work too. So according to research though, and this is concerning, the average worker actually spends out of those eight hours, two hours and 53 minutes in productive work. Some of you might need to go and check what your employers are doing. You might need to go sack one or two. <laughs> Kidding. What else are they doing? And I say they, but you know what? I think we're all guilty of a couple of these. We are perhaps reading news websites, checking social media, I mean, like, who goes the whole workday without checking? Anyone? Oh, wow. Sigh. Well done. Yes? Who? Do <laughs> you know, I reckon, like, not even a quarter of the people put their I'm shocked at sigh. Jordan? Oh, you're just doing the well done sigh. I feel like you're lying. <laughs> it's definitely lying. Uh, discussing non-related work things with co-workers. That's Cameron when we're trying to have a staff meeting. He just chatter, chatter, chatter. It's like, stop it. Walk away. We need to do some work. Uh, search for a new job, I guess, if you're not happy. Make a phone call. This is mine. This would be me making a hot drink. Well, not making one, going and buying one. <laughs> Got to go get a coffee, right? And then another one. Uh, texting, eating snacks or making food. That's what other, most people spend about six hours of their day doing those. So we can be busy but not productive. Write that one down. We can be busy but not productive. But work ethic isn't just in Genesis. It's a major emphasis in Proverbs. And I'm going to talk pretty quick because I've got a lot to say from Proverbs. So the Proverbs-driven life when it comes to work offers amazing wisdom on biblical work ethic. Now, man who is given dominion over creation is told multiple times throughout Proverbs to sit at the feet of an ant and a slug, and I'll read it to you in a moment, to learn lessons on work. So our sin nature has actually reduced us to being tutored by some bugs and slugs. There are actually 14 different times that the Proverbs mentions the ant and the slug. Okay, so, so if the Bible's talking about an ant and a slug, slug 14 times, then God's trying to teach us something through a teeny tiny ant, right? Talk about pride levels going down. So Proverbs 6, 6 to 11, let's have a look. You'll be reading this in two days. No, tomorrow. There you go, we're doing tomorrow's today. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Cons <laughs> no, right? It's pretty harsh. 
consider her ways. Notice how the ants referred to as a her. And I think maybe the sluggard's referred to as a him. Oh, my gosh. Should we go there? Okay. Let's see. I Actually, let's see if I'm right. I don't know if it does refer to the sluggard as a he. Let's just check this. So, consider her ways and be wise, which having no chief overseer or ruler provides her food in the summer and gathers her supplies in the harvest. How long will you sleep, O sluggard? When will you raise out of your sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to lie down and sleep. So will come your poverty, so will your poverty come like a robber or one who travels with with slowly but surely approaching steps and your want like an armed man making you helpless. Okay, I take that back. It hasn't said he yet, but I'm watching. So the ant, everyone say ant, sluggard. They epitomise opposing kinds of work ethic in the Bible. They are the complete polar opposites. Biblical work ethic, non-biblical work ethic. So here we go. Point number one. What can we learn from the ant? Work faithfully without accountability. Work faithfully without accountability. Verse 6 to 8 actually said that um, she does not, you know, having no chief, no overseer, no ruler, no boss, still provides and does her work. So you can tell someone's work ethic. This is how you can tell someone's work ethic. What do they do when nobody's looking? What do they do when nobody tells them what to do? My children know by now that I test them on a regular basis, (laughs) that if I've gone out and I'm about to come home, I think there is a whirlwind of a quick, (laughs) do the dishes, quick, go put the dogs out, do this, do that. Because they know that like what happens when I'm not there actually tells me a lot about who they really are, right? Does the following... Sorry, the ant does all of the following with or without structure, with or without accountability. So let's have a look. This is what they do. They are productive. Do you know an ant? I was looking this up. This is fascinating. An ant actually does work 24-7. Now, I'm not advocating working 24-7, but they take a power nap every six minutes. (laughs) Right? Who's a power napper here? You power nappers? Good luck. Yeah, you can't. My mother-in-law is a power napper. She falls asleep. No, Dad's a power napper. Cameron's a power napper. If I wake up from a power nap, I feel like I've just been on drugs. So I'm like, I just, I'm just like more like the, you know the, you know the Duracell bunny. Go, 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 go. That's kind of me in our family. Okay, the ant is diligent. The ant is industrious. Do you know that the ant can lift twenty times their own body weight? Twenty times. They are self-motivated. I love this. Do you know different ants specialise in different jobs? Different ants have different, very specific jobs and they're never told what to do. They just go and do it. They have initiative. I think one of the best things that we can have in life is initiative. It is a massive bonus if you can have initiative. They go beyond the bare minimum and respect authority. Every colony is actually a family in the ant colony. There's a mother, which is the queen. The adult daughters, again, are the workers. I know, right? I'm not quite sure. The men didn't feature until it was mating time, actually, in the thing that I read. No kidding. The girls work and then there were babies, the, the, the eggs. But the queen doesn't boss the workers around. The workers know what to do. 
So an ant has an innate desire and a natural desire to work industriously. They do not need to be persuaded, forced, given incentives. They don't require coaching, pep talks, motivational speakers, books, podcasts, or KPIs, right? Now, I'm not just talking about you at your work. What, what is your bedroom like right now? Like, don't answer that. Like, how did you leave your bedroom today? I'm like, bed made, clothes away. I even dusted and vacuumed before I left. Who, anyone else? Oh, a few of you. Yes, you're my people. Whose bedroom right now? No bed made, clothes all over the floor. Who's going to admit it? <laughs> Some people are proudly owning this, proudly owning it. Okay. So, you know, we had someone work for us a few years ago who had a lot of charisma, but pretty low on the work ethic. And uh, this person was the life of the party. Everyone knew when they walked in the room, but they were kind of more like the slug than the ant. Um, we employed them to help take some of the load off of us, but instead it actually created more of a workload. Oopsie doopsie. That's okay. Crying baby. All good. The worst thing is to have no initiative. Because remember, um, I remember they came to me and they said, oh, can you give me KPIs? And I'm like, if you, like, I understand KPIs are good, but sometimes you've just got to be able to see what needs to be done without KPIs. The ant needs nothing imposed from the outside, and they don't only work when somebody is looking. So if left to your own devices, what do you do? We are called to work, not just when someone is watching or making us. Now, this is backed up. Everyone turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 24. So have a look. It's up on the screen. So this backs up what we're saying in Proverbs. Servant, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not only when their eyes are on you as pleasers of men, but in simplicity of purpose with all your heart because of your reverence for the Lord and a sincere expression of your devotion to him. Whatever may be your task, work at it heartily from the soul, something done for the Lord and not for men. And knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord and not from men that you will receive the inheritance, which is your real reward. The one whom you actually are serving is the Lord. You know, that's the approach that we should be doing everything in our life. When I was teaching, no one was watching over me in my classroom. It would be very easy to be that teacher. And we all had those teachers. And I know those that are teachers here would agree. The teachers that rock in at like 8.45 and they quickly make a dash from the car park to their classroom. And then you see their cars sneaking out while the parents are picking up their kids at like 3.10. Those teachers. I didn't want to be that teacher. You know, we're not in a classroom looked at all day long. But you know what? I always would think to myself, God is watching me. These kids are relying upon me. This is my call. And therefore, I will bring, this is my worship to God. What I do is my worship to God. And I will do it with all of my heart. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. I think that was one of the little quotes today on the, on the Instagram, which was amazing. It was a little excerpt from Denzel Washington. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Only hard work will bring progress. Only hard work on your marriage will bring progress. Only hard work on sitting your children down and teaching them and training them and disciplining them over and over and over and over is what brings progress. Having a business only hard work will bring progress. So in Proverbs, oh, number two, this is our second, our second one is this, our habits define us. Your habits, my habits define us. Now, if you have a look 
we'll read just a little bit of it, but Proverbs 26, verse 13 to 16 talks about the sluggard a little bit more. Oh, I think we're coming to the word he, actually. I've just, I've just looked ahead. <laughs> I knew it was in there somewhere. Now, the sluggard's regular habit is when he wakes up, he doesn't get up. He lays there. <laughs> that was a wife to a husband. Oh, he lays there because that first scripture said that he just lays there on his bed, like kind of, you know, with one hand over the other. He rolls over this scripture. This is an awesome scripture. Rolls over like a door hinge. What does a door hinge do? Backwards, forward, side to side, not going anywhere, side to side. That's what a sluggard does. Lots of kind of average work, no progress. So chapter 26, verse 14 in Proverbs says this, as the door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man move not from his place upon his bed. Sorry, boys. I'm just, I'm, I love you all. I do. I do think girls work harder sometimes, but it's right. There is a cause and effect in the Bible between idleness and poverty. Now, I'm not just talking money, monetary poverty. Okay, so there's at least, write this down, there's at least 14 passages in Proverbs connecting idleness and poverty. So we're not just talking about money here. We're talking about not just loss of income if you're idle, but loss in our relationships. If we don't work hard in our marriages, we lose out. If we don't work hard on our career, we lose out. If we don't work hard on raising our children, we lose out. So let's have a look. This again is backed up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, which backs the same one up. For while we were yet with you, we gave you this rule and charge. If anyone will not work, don't let them eat. Indeed, we hear that some among you are disorderly, that they are passing their lives in idleness, neglectful of duty, being busy with other people's affairs instead of their own and doing no work. Now we charge and exhort such persons as ministers in him, exhorting those in the Lord, that they work in quietness and earn their food and other necessities. So we have to choose not to be diligent. Sorry, if you're idle, you're choosing not to be diligent, which is sinful. It violates the primary call that God has given us to be idle, to be not diligent, to be not hardworking, whether that be your business, your study. I say to our students all the time, here's your online work for the week. I'm not going to run and chase you, but do you know what? I know that years down the track, because I've been in this, I've been a teacher for 20 years, I've been in ministry for 20 years, I know that it's the person back here that does the hard work that gets up here in the end. And then everyone else is like, how did they get there? Oh my gosh, that's not fair. Do you know the price that they paid back here? Do you know, they're usually the students that are the ones that they open up their Bible, they listen to their video lectures, they, they do the things that they're asked to do. Not because someone's watching them, but because they know that they're they're doing, they've been called of the Lord and so they work at it with all of their heart and soul unto the Lord. Let's go there on kids for a minute. Oh, can I go there for just a second? Okay, I'm with you on this, right? I've got three of them and I will not. Liam's like, mum, do not mention me today. I'm like, nobody. <laughs> Mind you, he's actually got great work ethics. I'm like, I don't need to mention him. So, the future welfare of your child depends upon you teaching them now and teaching them well and teaching them to work 
hard early in life. One of the most valuable contributions a parent can make is to teach them. You know, the um, day three talked about let your heart keep my commands. It doesn't say let your behavior keep my commands. It says let your heart keep my commands. I used to follow a parenting series called Growing Kids God's Way. I think now it's called, it's called Baby Wise, Toddler Wise. It goes right up to your teenage years. And one of the things, one of the best things I learned from that series was this. You need to train the moral heart of your child. So if my kid was doing something like, I don't know, running around the church foyer and people had hot cups of coffee or something like that, for example, I wouldn't just say, hey, I'll use Liam. Sorry, Liam. Hey, Liam, stop. He was always the one running. Stop. I wouldn't just tell him stop and, and expect obedience. I would tell him why. I'm like, buddy, come here. Because why? I didn't want him just to learn the behavior. I wanted him to learn from the heart, the moral heart behind why we were doing what we were teaching him. And I'd say, sweetie, have a look at all the people with hot coffees around. Have a look at some of the elderly people here. I don't want you to trip them up, buddy. That's why mummy doesn't want you to run. Can you see? And that goes on and on right up until they're, they're teenagers. I could give you so many examples. Give them age-appropriate stuff. Get, make them make their bed. Wash the dishes. Vacuum. Clean the bathroom. We have to teach our kids to be strong. We have to teach them and expose them to the world as much as we can. That is the antidote to their vulnerability is to teach them to be strong because it arms them for life. Teach them that, yes, life can be tough, but we are tougher. Reward them for good work. Teach them what no means. Oh my gosh, I could do a whole series on that. You know what? You say no and they scream and parents go like, oh my goodness, no, what am I going to do? Oh my gosh, they're screaming. Who cares that they're screaming? You know what? I said no. I used to say to myself over and over, I'm going to win the war. I'm going to win the war. <laughs> when my kids were like, not obey me, I'm going to win the war. I'm going to win the war. Hold the line. Let them scream. You know, you can teach them from the age of 13 months what the word no means. I think I started earlier, but at least 13 months. You just have to be persistent one more time than them. That's all. I remember Liam, when he was 14 months old, he threw himself out of the cot. Cameron was away. He was a handful when he was little. He kept throwing himself out because he didn't want to go to bed. And I'm like, it's your bedtime. You're going to bed. Four, 13, 14 times, I think I counted. And every time, crying. I'm crying. I'm like, is he going to break me? No, I'm going to break him. And I would go back and I'd put him back in and I'd say, mummy said stay. And I'd walk off again and go, <laughs> and then he'd come out again and I'd put him back in. Mummy said it's bedtime. 14 times until he was so exhausted he was crying I was crying but guess who won yes and guess who still wins because do you know why he's now six foot one he's now taller do you know the only thing that makes him obey me now it's not me picking him up and putting him in his bed it's my word but guess where he learned to obey my word back when I said no when he was 13 and 14 months old okay here's a quick checklist to see we're gonna we're gonna finish up a checklist to see if you are a sluggard Okay, no elbowing the person next to you. Okay, here we go. So Proverbs 26, 13 to 16. The sluggard says there's a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. And as the door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man upon his bed. The slothful and self-indulgent buries his hand in his bosom. It distresses and wearies him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes and conceit than seven men who can render a reason and answer discreetly. So therefore, what does a sluggard do? They lie and make excuses. Oh, we're all good at that, hey? 
oh, I don't get paid enough, I'm not getting paid anyway, I don't get enough time off, everyone else is taking it slow, everyone else doesn't rock up to lectures at uni, why should I? Because the Bible says have good work ethic, so go. Number two, the sluggard has no initiative. They won't get out of bed. To pick someone moving in a limited range, never making progress. They can have the same simple, unproductive activities over and over and over. It's the whole near enough is good enough and the bare minimum is enough. Number three, they do not finish their work. They follow distractions. Everything's at the last minute. Procrastinate, procrastinate, gives up if too challenging. And the last one is this. They are proud. This is actually the root sin of idleness is pride. The core of it is actually self-centeredness, self-love, and it's rooted in pride. If we can have the band come. We're actually going to finish on an up today because I feel like this is like a bit of a fun day, right? <laughs> right? Uh, a sluggard um, who is proud is a know-it-all who rejects the counsel of others. Who knows someone like that? Just look to the roof. Look to the roof. Don't look at anyone around you. A know-it-all. They have a disregard for those in authority and actually it is really a disrespect towards God. That's why we teach our young people to respect their teachers. You know, I've seen so many articles lately around teachers who are giving up teaching and principals who are giving up because the parents are having goes at them all the time. You know, even if we don't agree with stuff, we go in and have a private conversation. We need to teach our children to respect their teachers. We need to teach them to respect their principals. We need to teach them to respect their youth pastor. We need to teach them to respect you, you yourself as their parent because it teaches them ultimately to respect God. So, and just, I was going to talk about being a, a workaholic, but that's kind of the other flip side of it. And we don't have time today, but being a workaholic is equally as bad as being too idle because it's a continual obsession. And we're not just called to work, we're also called to be husbands and wives and children and fathers and mothers and friends and sons and daughters as well. You know, there's, uh, though some of you might remember years ago, there was a movie called Chariots of Fire. Who remembers that? Dun, 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 dun. I'm sure Benny can sing it. So it was like this really cool soundtrack with it. It was about this man called Eric Liddell, who was a devout Christian who trained for the 1924 Olympics. Now, he actually had a long-term goal of being a missionary because his parents were missionaries in China. But he was also a runner. And this is what he said. He goes, I believe that God made me for a purpose, to be a missionary in China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You know, maybe to substitute the word run in there for whatever it is that you do, because whatever it is that you do with your time, it's actually worship unto God. And He feels, ple- you, would feel, you will feel God's pleasure when you do the things He's put you on this earth to do and you do them well. Mothers can feel it when they raise their children in the ways of the Lord. Lawyers can feel pleasure when justice is done. Teachers can feel pleasure when students learn. Creatives feel it when they create. An accountant can feel pleasure when they, when they, um, when they balance their books. That, like, that's not silly at all because God's put us each on the, on the earth for a purpose. And when we do it well and we do it with all of our hearts, then we feel the pleasure of God. You know, I just want us to, to finish here. Um, if we can just close our eyes just for a moment. 
And I can't move on without just, and I know that, you know, we're talking about Proverbs and we've been talking about work ethic today, but that there might be some people here, maybe one or two of you, and you don't actually even have a relationship with God. And here we are, I've been talking about the God of the universe and the God that created the universe and the God that wants us to work hard. But, you know, you would say to me today, Renee, I don't even have a relationship with God. Or maybe perhaps you once did and and you've walked away from God. And before we go any further, I just want to give an opportunity for anyone here who would say, can you pray with me? Perhaps even at the start when Josh was talking and he, he was talking about trust and God just healing areas of his heart, maybe that really spoke to you and you're like, you know what, there's some areas in my heart that I need to just, I need God in my life. And if that's you with no one looking around, if you want to just quickly slip up your hand and I'll pray with you and then you can pop it down again. Is there anyone here that would say, yep, that's me? I want to maybe rededicate or give my life to God for the very first time. Anyone here as I look around? Awesome. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for every person here. And Lord, I know we've had fun today and it's been very practical as well today. But Lord, I just pray, Father, that as we go through this next week, that what you're doing, Father, even what we've seen just today in Josh's life, that you would multiply that, Father, in lives of our public family, Father, right across this place. That, Lord, as we open up those journals, as we open up your word, Father, let it change us, God. Let it bring to us, Father, a a word in season, Lord, that I know that everyone needs something different here. I pray bring healing to people's hearts, bring bring challenge to people's hearts. God, heal marriages, Father. Lord, I pray that there would be healing, Lord, in, in even relationships between parents and children here, Lord. That, Father, if there are any children that are away from you, God, that even as we go through the Proverbs, Father, that we would just be believing that wisdom, Father. You would give us wisdom with how to speak to our kids. And, and Father, that you would just reach out and touch their hearts like only you can. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're doing in every life here. In the mighty and precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.